What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys journeying to the center of the earth, and Brendan Fraser is unfortunately not in sight. I'm Matt Johnson, and somehow this movie is worse than I thought. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm glad they channeled a bit of Shark Boy and Lava Girl into this movie. And I'm Austin Terry, and I'm always happy to spend two hours with my friend Scott. Scott. Hi, Scott. <laughs> On today's show, uh, of course, we are returning to the MCU for, uh, let me do the math in my head, uh, the millionth time to talk about the start of Phase 5 with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania. Did I get that right, guys? Quantum Mania. I don't like this title. But before we get to that, are, are shrinking or growing powers appealing to you guys at all? I, for whatever reason, I was thinking about that, particularly while watching this movie. I was like, what would I do with this? I think either one of them is hard to manage because if you shrink down, it's just got to be such a dirty power. Like the lower you get, the more dust you're around. Mm. But then also, if you get too big, you're just like a walking wrecking ball and you're on the hook for all that property damage. Yeah, it's like becoming bigger would be more of a problem. But actually, becoming smaller, though, I think you're more likely to die because like a normal foot uh, drop would be like falling off a cliff. And they always say like you get the super strength of an ant, but they also forget to mention how easily ants get crushed beneath our feet. So I think I'm with you, Keith. I think you're extra vulnerable when you're tiny. It'd be a good way to like sneak into like meetings, like to eavesdrop on meetings, but like if someone just rolls their chair backward real quick as you're listening, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't enjoy watching this, and I also like have no fantasy while watching this. <laughs> I, just don't even, I don't even want this suit, guys. Um, yeah, the MCU's back. You know, Phase Four is one that I quite enjoyed. I liked a lot of the post Endgame projects. I think in recent months, there's been a lot of conversation about it. Um, I always hear people say it was kind of aimless. What was the point of Phase Four? And for me, I think there was a lot of setup there, and I just kind of had fun in the moment. Like, for example, is Thor Love and Thunder a very good movie? No, I don't think so, but I had fun with it, and that's kind of all I was looking for. Um, but now we are done with Phase 4. We had, I guess in January 2021, I want to say, WandaVision, and then it ran all the way through the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special uh, a couple months ago. So now we're officially in Phase 5, and <laughs> we don't really know what that means. Like, I don't know why we're in a new phase, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know what the big <laughs> turning point was, but maybe we'll talk about that. I don't really, I don't know. Guys, I don't know. I've, I've already spoiled my thoughts on this, and I, I don't really care. So let's just get into it. Austin and Keith, let everyone know. I mean, did you have any expectations going into this? And of course, I want to hear your non-spoiler thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Yeah, this one's a strange one because... Like you said, the big opinion on Phase 4 is that it was aimless, and at least in my mind, for an MCU that's known for being so interconnected, it, it didn't feel very connected within itself. And I always thought Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was pitched to us as, this is the movie that's going to make it all make sense. And uh, for my kind of general non-spoiler thoughts, it didn't do that for me. But before we get too much further into that, Matt, um, this movie is directed by Peyton Reed. And in some of our past episodes, you have described him to us as your greatest enemy, a director without very much talent, and a man that makes boring movies. So I gotta know, <laughs> did Peyton Reed redeem himself to you with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania? It sounds so mean to say, and I hate to say it, but there's just something about Peyton Reed that irks me. It's probably like a jealousy thing. It's just like, how is he where he's at? I mean, his movies like suck for the most part. <laughs> um, I think I can confidently say his best thing is the two episodes of The Mandalorian he directed, but 
How much of that is on him? Like, was that more John Favreau, Dave Filoni? I don't know. And the Ant-Man movies, I just, uh, Peyton, <laughs> they just they just bore me. I think they're pretty bland. I think the first one is kind of a fun movie. Uh, the second one is my least favorite MCU movie because it is just the most boring, like bland, forgettable thing. And I feel like I've talked with you two separately um, over the last week and you both like independently brought that up. You're like, I don't even know what happened in the last one. I don't think I could call out anything. <laughs> so I don't know. I obviously I'm just joking about him being my greatest enemy, but I mean, he did it again. <laughs> he made one that <laughs> I, I'm just kind of baffled by all his choices. Yeah, I think baffling is a good word, because just to get quickly into my non-spoiler thoughts, I think overall I was bored with the majority of this movie and, and didn't really enjoy it. And I'm surprised by that because this is our big like MCU blockbuster introduction to Kang. Of course, we saw him in Loki, but this is like his big MCU outing. And for the most part, I, I did like the Kang side of this movie. But in my mind, there wasn't enough of him. This movie has three different acts and each different act feels like a different movie. And it kind of it kind of goes downhill for me from the first act to the ending. Um, there's a whole new realm and characters that they introduce that we have no attachment to, so I don't care about any of that side of the movie. And like you said, with the past two Ant-Man films, I had to watch a 20-minute recap on the first two movies because I couldn't remember what happened in those films because they're so forgettable to me. And ultimately, it's a shame, but I think this one is going to fall into that category where I found it boring, and overall, I think I'm going to forget what happened in this movie by the time we get to our next MCU project. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. <laughs> But going into this one, I think all the performances were just kind of whatever. I didn't find anybody to be over the top as far as the acting abilities went. And I don't think it's really their fault. I think it's more of like probably a writing and editing uh, issue. But I just feel like they were lost the entire time and just had no good lines to say. As far as like the stuff that was introduced to us, I feel like I was entertained by this movie with the fact that I was like hoping, I kept hoping for something cool to come in. So I was constantly kind of like just waiting, like, okay, maybe they're going to do this. Maybe they're going to do that. And nothing ever really came to the table. I'm with you, Austin. I think the best part of this movie is probably Kang. But even, even Kang kind of fell short for me too, because I, I was expecting him to be, you know, a little bit more menacing and I don't want to get too spoily, but not what I was expecting. That's all I'll say about him. Yeah, overall, not really pleased with, <laughs> with Ant-Man. Uh, <laughs> and it was just kind of whatever kind of movie to watch in theaters. Cool, I guess, but not, not entertained and definitely a lot of cheesiness in it that was unnecessary. Yeah, and kind of like I already alluded to earlier, it's just a boring kind of uninspired movie. It's just a CG mess. The CG doesn't look very good most of the time. Uh, Austin nailed it. I certainly was curious about exploring the quantum realm, but I didn't care about any of the characters or places they introduced. Like we're supposed to, I feel like feel something <laughs> or like find them funny. I don't know. I think I've already given my thoughts, so I'll try and keep the non-spoiler short. Jonathan Majors, certainly uh, the highlight of the movie. I just don't think it's a very good Ant-Man movie, even though I don't like those movies. It's trying to be a comedy. It's also trying to be like a family story, like drama type deal. It's trying to be this big epic action movie more so than the previous two. And it's trying to be like a grand big trailer for the future of the MCU. And I think it's just juggling too much. It's also very telling that none of us have brought up the Wasp and it's because the movie put her in the title again and they forgot to use her. <laughs> um, pretty <laughs> just completely baffled by that, I think more than anything. The movie should have been called Ant-Man and Janet Van Dyne. 
Uh, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I think they overcompensated for the fact that she hasn't been the MCU very much and made her like the co-lead of this movie. Um, we just don't know much about her. I, I think the writing for this movie is pretty terrible. And I am with Keith. These are all great actors, but only Jonathan Majors, I think, comes out of this one looking good. <laughs> Everyone else. Ooh, um, maybe it was all the green screen. They just couldn't find their characters standing in front of blue and green screens as opposed to the last ones that are more in the real world. But yeah, even this movie made Paul Rudd look really bad. Cassie, don't. And then cut to Cassie. <laughs> Dad? Dad. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's just baffling. I won't continue my non-spoilers. There's not much else to say. Um, I think it was a pretty big miss. Uh, and I was curious about it after the last trailer. But yeah, I was more disappointed than I thought it would be. The other thing I want to call out for people who haven't seen it yet is there's a big marketing misdirection with the trailers for this film. This movie is pitched to us as Scott Lang dealing with the loss of time that he's had yeah. throughout his life and not being able to be there for Cassie. And that does not come up in the film at all. It comes up with Michelle Pfeiffer's character, but that's not what was pitched to us in the trailers. It was supposed to be Scott Lang coming to terms with that. And that's not even addressed. He's, he's fine with where his life is. He's actually, he says multiple times he's happy with the way his life played out. So if you're coming hoping for that, that's not in the film. That's not the movie that you're going to see in theaters. Yeah, the trailers made it look like he was begrudgingly okay to work with Kang because Kang could give him those five years that he lost back that he wanted to spend with his daughter. Um, but yeah, not addressed at all. I thought that was odd. Um, and we'll talk about that scene where they kind of uh, come together and it's pretty, you know, tropey and he's just forced into it. I'll, I'll say that. I don't think that's a spoiler. And it's like, oh, OK, that, what a cool moment. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, uh, I don't want to say too much more because we're going to inevitably fall into spoiler territory. So if you have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I wouldn't recommend it, but I also recognize that it's kind of hard, I feel like, to recommend or not recommend MCU movies. I think if you're a fan of the MCU out there, you're going to see everything. You're going to watch every show. You're going to watch most of the movies. Like, you're going to watch most of these things. It doesn't matter what we tell you if something is good or bad. But I just do want to make it known that I do think this is a bad movie. Uh, some enjoyable stuff in there. Sounds like we're mostly on the same page. So it does not get a glowing recommendation, but I'm sure, like us, you'll see it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I would actually say don't go see this in theaters. Just wait for it to come to Disney+. Plus. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get into it, guys. Uh, let's get into spoiler territory. Uh, let's break down all of these <laughs> extremely weird decisions. I'm excited for that, at least. It'll be a fun conversation. All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Zone. As always, Austin and Keith, how about you start us off with uh, the good old cast and crew talk? All right, so Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is directed by Matt's all-time favorite director, Peyton Reed. Uh, you, of course, would know him from the past two Ant-Man films, a few episodes of The Mandalorian, and Bring It On. It's written by Jeff Loveness, who doesn't have a ton of blockbuster movie writing credits. He's done a lot of writing on Jimmy Kimmel, uh, wrote some episodes of Rick and Morty. And I guess get a little scared because he's writing the upcoming um, Avengers, the Kang Dynasty movie, which is our big return to the full Avengers coming together. And it's written by this guy. So oh, that's that's scary. No. Um, and finally, our score for the film is composed by Christopher Beck. All right. And going to our cast, we have Paul Rudd returning as Scott Lang, Ant-Man, Imogeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, Bill Murray as Kryler. And we got Corey Stoll returning as Darren Cross, but now he's Modoc. And Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. 
All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got? I think the only person I can give a highlight to is Jonathan Majors as Kang. He was great in Loki. He's good as this alternate um, warrior variant of Kang. I did want more of him, but I was happy that he, every time he was on screen, at least, I thought he was stealing the show. He's very intimidating. I can't wait to see him interact with the rest of our Avengers that we know and love. Um, And I was also happy he didn't fall into, like, the MCU habit of he also is making quips. Like, he is not a jokey character in this movie. He's very serious. He's very intimidating. And I um, was left with this film only wanting to see more of him. So can't wait for the future. Um, He's the only kind of standout for me in this bad movie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty much just going to copy you, Austin. Jonathan Majors was probably one of the only good performances in this movie. I'll even shout out Bill Murray, though, too. Even though he had a quick scene, I don't think his performance is really bad at all. Um, I thought just he was, confused thought he was why funny. he was there. Yeah, yeah, his character was kind of pointless. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Majors was good. While I do have some issues with Kang, like the character, and you know, and maybe have some questions that you guys might know the answers to uh, later. Um, I thought overall he was pretty good as Kang, and and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it in the future movies. And as far as my negatives goes, it pretty much goes for everybody else. I just no one. It just just seems like no one showed up to play their parts in this one as far as the the Lang and the the Pym family goes. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just go ahead and echo what you guys were saying. I think, like we already said, Jonathan Majors is, I think, by far the best performance that they get out of this movie. But I wish I could say that I was like 100% happy with what they gave us in the moment here. Um, I was disappointed that it took surprisingly like maybe half the movie to introduce Kang. Um, and then the ending to that character I thought was pretty lame uh, and didn't jive with his intimidating factor that the rest of the movie was kind of building up. Second best was probably Michelle Pfeiffer. Like I said, I don't know if we needed that much of her in this movie. Uh, I think they went a little bit overboard with that, trying to adhere us to that character who's been largely missing in the MCU, but she was still good. I do definitely acknowledge that. Everybody else just kind of felt hollow, you know? It just felt like there was really nothing behind the eyes a little bit. And part of me feels like it's like a green screen scenario it's a really hard thing to do and maybe these just weren't the actors to uh do it i guess because it uh, it just felt kind of hollow all around that's kind of what the word i would use for the performances and just the vibe of the movie the visuals were i think that's my biggest negative the visuals were awful in this movie um the only thing that looked good was the city everything else like when they're standing on like cracked ground like that looked horrible um, it, it, like, it was so bad it took me out of the film because I was focusing on why does this look so bad? They've been doing this for 20 years now. They should be better at animating some of this stuff. Yeah, it was weird. It did look like they were just on a set like with a little like painted background the whole time. This movie is not going to age well. In like four years, it this movie's going to look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. With that, I think it's time to go a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion. This is just the main part of the show where each of us gets to bring a couple points that we want to specifically talk about. And even though it sounds like none of us liked this movie, I do really want to break down some of these things because I just want to know if we're on the same page with some of these like interesting and weird and sometimes bad choices. Yeah. So let's just jump right into the beginning. Right off the bat, two seconds in, oh, the quantum mania, the quantum realm, whatever, opens up and we're back in it. And there was no no buildup outside of the quantum realm at all. We just jumped right in. Did that work for you guys? I thought the first act was probably the strongest act of the movie. It's the only act where I thought they kind of balanced the comedy with the tone, uh, the serious tone. 
the thing that was working for me here was like the book joke with Paul Rudd and stuff. I thought some of that sequence had some nice moments. And I was actually digging how scared Michelle Pfeiffer was at the thought of making contact with the quantum realm. That actually kind of had some like Stranger Things, like upside down vibes with me. Um, it's just when once you get into the quantum realm, they lean too far into the jokes. We learn more about Janet's time down there and it doesn't feel earned. And there's also all these characters that apparently know Janet, but we only see her interact with Bill Murray and Kang. She doesn't interact with the rest of the characters. So very quickly it falls apart. But when they first go down into the quantum realm after that first act, that was like the only part of the movie where I was like, hey, this is kind of working for me right now. For me, it both worked and it didn't. It worked in the sense that that opening pre-quantum stuff is the only thing that felt like an Ant-Man movie to me. It felt like, oh, okay, this is like the natural sequel to the last ones. It had the vibe, like Austin said. It was funny, but there were the serious moments that the previous two films had. So it felt in line, and I enjoyed that. But it didn't work, and I agree with Keith that it did feel ultimately too rushed and just bizarre. And I just couldn't shake the blatantly strange writing moments. Like, I know you're kind of supposed to just forget everything you know whenever you walk into a movie like this and suspend your disbelief, but... I mean, did it bother you guys that the whole intro to the quantum realm is that Cassie Lang, Scott's daughter, has clearly a very close relationship with the Van Dynes, which that part I enjoy. She's calling them grandpa and grandma, which yeah. is throwing me off every time because they're not her grandparents. Well, yeah, I think they're, you know, they're, they're just close due to you know, the circumstances. So I, I was fine with that. But the thing that was weird to me is you're telling me that Cassie Lang and Hank Pym um, have been secretly working on a way to map the quantum realm, and Janet doesn't know about it, the person that spent decades down there, they're keeping it secret from her. Why? And also, how does she not know this is happening? And then the second Cassie's like, <laughs> look what I've done, Dad. Uh, Janet's like, oh, what the, f what the <laughs> Turn it off. And then they all get fucked. Um, it was just a weird choice to me. I didn't know why Cassie was keeping it a secret, and I did not know why Hank would keep that a secret. <laughs> I, I really wish they had, I guess your question is making me think about it a bit more, Keith, because you are right. We get into the quantum realm very quickly. I guess I, I do kind of wish there had been like an extended sequence of them in our world, uh, like sending signals down into the quantum realm and getting something back that kind of like keeps getting scarier. That might have been like a, a better way to actually get us, get our characters into the quantum realm, because maybe there's something that like they can't ignore and they have to at least go check it out or, or something like that. Just a little bit more build up would have been cool versus just. Michelle Pfeiffer going, what? What did you do? You don't, there's things you don't know about. And then, of course, Hank's like, what is it? What is it, Janet? And she's like, ah! And then everybody gets sucked <laughs> like, it's, It was just well, a little too cheesy for me. Like, really? We couldn't have any, like, somewhat of, like, an argument or explanation before that happened? And that does kind of tie into one of my broader issues with the film is this, is, this movie is a lot of, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of telling us stuff we didn't see. And, and a lot of it doesn't feel earned, particularly with Janet and her relationship with Kang and the other Quantum Realm characters. I, I guess my big question is, and I, I feel like this is a point that only ties to an MCU movie because everything is so interconnected, but did this expedition work for you? I'm assuming it didn't. And then do you think we should have had like a Janet Van Dyne MCU show where we get more time with her 30 years in the Quantum Realm or just anything else to help us believe that this actually happened? It wasn't something they just created to make the plot make sense? It would have been kind of cool if instead of opening up with Scott, it opens up with Janet, like, flashback in the in the quantum realm. And I guess they did that, right? Because the, the first scene of the movie is, like, that weird scene where I guess 
Darren Cross enters the quantum realm. She sees him land, and then she turns around and Kang's there. Um, but I think the reason that we forgot about that, Keith, is because it wasn't an impactful scene at all. Like my only thought while watching that was, "Oh, cool, there's Jonathan Majors," but there was no yeah. context for anything. And they, I guess, they explain it later in some of the flashbacks, but it wasn't cool. As for, did we need a Janet Van Dyne show or project? I don't know about that. I just I've always found it such a weird choice that Ant-Man and the Wasp, a big part of that movie is about Hope wanting to find her mom. And they announced Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. And then she's literally in the last five minutes whenever like they get her out and then the movie ends and then she gets dusted by the snap. And then I guess she's probably at the end of Endgame at Stark's funeral. And now the movie is just she's a main character and they just haven't earned it yet, which I think one of you already mentioned like the word earn in regards to that character. And that's my problem. We just should have gotten more of her previously. I think I agree with you there. I think my biggest issue is just we had to spend so much time of this movie getting the expedition and the backstory because we hadn't seen it yet that I felt like if we had already seen this in prior projects, maybe we could have had more time fleshing out the quantum mania characters, more time with Kang. It just kind of feels like a jumbled mess. And I think your analogy of it being in uh, an extended trailer for the future is, is very apt because that is by the time this movie uh, wraps up, we're not in a different place in the MCU from where we started the film. This version of Kang is gone. We still know Kang is coming from the other variants, yep. but nothing in our MCU timeline has changed very much. Yeah. Loki season one ended with like, oh shit, uh, he who remains, he has bad variants coming. And then that's exactly how this sounds. Like Kang, this version of Kang, they say died at the end there. And so then it just ultimately amounts to a bad versions of Kang are coming. It's like, we knew that already. Why do we have to watch this two hour movie? <laughs> and there's a trailer for Loki season two at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Janet real quick, do you guys think it maybe would have worked better if Hank or Hope would have known a little bit more about her life down there in the quantum realm? Like, so she's down there for 30 years and she finally gets back to the love of her life and her and her kid. And she's just like, I don't want to talk about it. And they're like, oh, OK. There's two big things here for me. It's, it's negligence on Janet's part because she knows about Kang and she's just gone through the experience with Thanos where she got snapped. So she knows that there's something potentially worse than Thanos out there, and she's not talking about it. And then two, when this movie ends with Scott, it's negligence on his part, because he has that moment where he freaks out, and then he decides, nah, man, we're cool. So if, if in the next film where we see him, he's not immediately like going to the other Avengers and saying, hey, here's this thing that happened to me, and then Kang comes out and millions of people die, all those deaths are going to be on Scott Lang's conscious, because he knew about this and chose not to say anything. Yeah, just weird. I mean, I understand the trauma associated with the quantum realm, but Janet should have maybe said some things, like at least key information. She doesn't have to talk about the painful stuff, but yeah, bizarre choice there. Or at least fill fill them in, like on the pe like the other people down there. Like there's that there's like there's whole worlds and other uh, dimensions and stuff down there. You think she would have filled them in on that for their scientific research? I guess. I yeah. Know. Also, what did you guys think of the choice to separate them when they got there, having Scott and Cassie be together um, and then having the Van Dynes be together? By the end of it, I, I think the only reason they did that was so that you could have Scott have to, I guess, agree with Kang and help him get his thing. But he was forced to do that. So I just didn't really understand why they separated the characters. And that was a big problem for me, because like I said at the beginning, uh, the Wasp really gets shafted in this movie. Um, just given nothing to do. And at least if they had been together, then there could have been some more interesting dynamics. It would have been nice to maybe see her have to go with Scott uh, on the Kang mission. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know why they separated them. I don't know what purpose that really served. 
I thought it had the potential to be cool because I thought it was going to end up in the place where Kang maybe charms Scott Lang and they like ally themselves together and then Janet and Wasp meet back up with the revolutionaries and then they kind of end up on opposing sides. But it, it didn't do that. It didn't take that route, which is what the trailers kind of teased to us, which is why I have a, a big issue with how this movie was marketed too. They probably separated Scott and Cassie so they could, so they can, you know, have their father and daughter bonding thing happen. But uh, I think it would have been better if Hope would have been there too, to have a, yeah, a, a bigger presence and then have Hank and um, Janet together on their side and maybe Janet's filling in Hank more on like what, on her time in the yeah, quantum realm. I would have liked that. So let's spend a bit more time with Kang. Um, and I have one major issue. I'm not sure how it's going to impact you guys, but this is our next, you know, big bad that they've been setting up for all of phase four. Now here's his like kind of big coming out party in the MCU movies. And he's supposed to be more of a threat than Thanos. And in his first movie, he loses to a pile of ants. So that makes him already seem less intimidating to me to be our future villain going forward. Did that bother you or, or did you like the way this movie wrapped up or how are you feeling? Yeah, Keith and I were talking about that after the movie. And I'm fine with Ant-Man ultimately kind of outsmarting him. Um, I love the line of, you know, I don't need to win. We both just need to lose. Um, love that stuff. Um, but yeah, what Keith and I were talking about is I, I don't have an issue with him losing necessarily. I just found it lame that they showed off. They give us like cool teases of his powers, like that scene where like his helmet flips back on and he just like starts like blasting and beaming and disintegrating everyone. I was like, damn, like that's kind of crazy. And I love that line where he's like, do you think this is my first revolution? I've put down so many of these. I was like, oh, he's about to just like snap his fingers and this is going to be over. He talks about killing past Avengers, which was cool. I just my only issue is that he ultimately is defeated by getting like punched too many times. It's like that was my only problem. It's like I, I, like I said, I was fine with him ultimately losing. I expected this version would lose to some degree um, and then come back in the future. I just found it lame that a fist fight is what takes him down. And I know that Scott like throws the shrinking, growing things onto the power source and then he gets like stuck in it and like goes down with it. But it's really a fist fight that he loses to. And we literally just watched him like blast like thousands of people and blow them to smithereens. It's like he just had to do that once to Scott. Uh, yeah. And they didn't. So it's like, you probably shouldn't have showed us him doing that badass shit because then it's a lame as fuck when he gets punched and then loses. <laughs> well, it makes it seem super reliant on his tech too because as soon as he loses that wristband or whatever, you're right, he just loses to a punch in the face. So to me, he's not like um, outweighing Thanos yet in terms of his like power level. And I know you guys were describing Kang before we got to this movie. I think back when we were watching Loki, I think you guys were like telling me a little bit about him and all that and the way y'all made it sound, and it's not y'all's fault, and the way like the MCU kind of builds him up, I'm like, oh man, this guy's gonna be like dark as shit. Like he's gonna, like you said, Austin, he's gonna be Thanos times a hundred. And I, yeah, I just did not feel that in this movie, even though like you could feel they're trying to do that. Especially my favorite scene with him in this was the scene with him and um, Janet, where Janet touches the the part of his ship or whatever, and she sees all of his yeah, flashbacks. That was cool. That was really cool. And they're like, wow, this guy's super creepy. And he has like this creepy demeanor about him and the way he's talking to her. And he's like, come on, Janet, just get on the ship and let's go home. Yeah, because she never thought that. She believed that he was like a good guy, which also makes him yeah. scary, right? So I like that. Yeah, I like the fact that he was playing as a good guy. And that kind of made him creepy. But like you guys said, um, the fact that he was just beaten in such a kind of a corny way with a fist fight. Yeah, it kind of lost a little bit of that luster for me. Yeah, also uh, tying into the MacGuffin of the movie, this power source that he needs to power his chair that allows him to travel to all these, you know, alternate timelines and variations and whatever. 
Is it a huge nitpick? I don't know. But ultimately, I found it a little bit unbelievable, I should say, that after being down there for decades, like you're telling me Hank Pym is the only person that has devised this uh, bizarre, this shrinking ability like Kang needs basically to shrink himself down to get the power source that he needs because Janet, you know, took it away from him. He couldn't figure that out. With all of his resources, especially with all the timelines and alternate realities he's been to, is this the only reality where Hank Pym exists and has this tech? Like, has he never seen this before? He can't come up with it on his own. Scott Lang can do it, but Kang can't. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Cassie Lang can even do it, but Kang can't. <sighs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> it just, <laughs> Cassie just is like, I have a suit too. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Grandpa Hank is just full of surprises, I guess. He's like, here, Cassie. <laughs> Don't tell Scott. <laughs> The ant stuff I thought was a nice payoff for Michael Douglas's character, I guess. But it was also bizarre that they were like, the ants fell out of the time-space continuum and they spent a second that was a thousand years and now they're advanced enough to take down Kang. It's like, what if they hadn't had the ants? I guess they're all dead. You need ants in an Ant-Man movie. (laughs) You need ants. (laughs) Yeah, another thing to your point, Austin, I kind of liked at least that quick little scene where they say, Oh, these ants that we saw at the beginning of the movie, it was a nice payoff. Uh, They spent thousands of years down here because they fell out of whatever, like you said. And there's even like an interesting line that got me kind of thinking, because if we remember at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Scott is in the quantum realm whenever the snap happens. So he has nobody to pull him out. And then in Endgame, I guess, he goes to the Avengers and he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. The quantum realm is the key to all of this, because I was in there for five minutes and then I came out and five years had passed. And then here, Scott tells Cassie, we need to go home now because we don't know how much time is passing up there. Like, we can't do that to your mom. Like, uh, I I won't do that. Should there have been a payoff to that, did you think, outside of the ants? Because whenever they go home and no time has passed, I was like, am I, like, confusing how this works? Like, I thought time would have passed. Like, how cool would it be if they pop out and it's like, they're in the future? I was like, whoa, that would have been, like, something cool. But, yeah, I guess I just found it weird that they acknowledge that in the movie and then there's really the only payoff is the ants ended up spending like thousands of years there yeah they threw all those rules out the window and it really seems like however time passes is what's going to benefit the character the most because for scott lang like you said he was down there for five minutes last time and five years passed however for janet she was down there for 30 years and it, but it seems like to her 30 years passed where if we yeah. follow those rules with scott it should have been like thousands and thousands of years that she was down in the quantum realm and i guess from the time Janet has left to the time that Kang is there, he's built this entire like civilian and advanced tech and all this stuff. So he it seems like he's almost been down there longer than Janet was down there. So it like the rules make no sense. It's just whatever benefits the character in the moment. Yeah, because another thing I was laughing at is if I recall in the first movie, it's like the big climax to beat uh, Darren Cross, uh, Scott Lang like shrinks down to like subatomic or whatever, and he's told not to do that. That's how Janet got lost. And he shrinks all the way down. And the way he escapes is he grows for the first time. He like uses the the blue thing instead and then hits the button and he grows. And obviously we see the payoff to Giant Man and Civil War and the Avengers movies. I was like, they never if I maybe I forgot it, but this movie never acknowledged. Could they just all like grow? And would they get I was out thinking that about way? the whole movie? And also they do the same like oh, you can't stay as Giant Man too long because you'll get hungry and tired. But if you're in the quantum realm, you're already so small. 
you're not really going at a giant man. You're just a little bit bigger than you were before. <laughs> yeah. So that shouldn't impact anything at all. It was, it was also making me laugh because like, I think there were supposed to be like big, like epic moments whenever they go giant. But because the entire movie is CG and green screen, it was really hard to tell whenever they were smaller or big to begin with. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. You just There was no sense of scale. So it was hard to tell what was even happening. <laughs> So, Matt, you mentioned this in the intro that Phase 4 was a very kind of mixed bag. There, of course, are some good projects in there, but overall, it seems like um, the way Marvel movies are being received since Endgame has kind of been steadily going downhill. And we have our, our new one that launched with a 48% or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes. So I just want to kind of check in on the status of the MCU. Um, it seems like the last like universally acclaimed one was Spider-Man No Way Home. Is there a problem here? Are you still excited for Phase 5? How are you guys feeling about the state of the MCU right now? Yeah, I'm. you know, there's so many projects at this point, it's hard to keep everything 100% straight. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I probably liked Phase 4 more than most people. Um, I enjoyed the stuff even that wasn't super high quality. I found things to like, unlike with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I just didn't find much to like. Thor Love and Thunder, like I already mentioned, uh, I, I thought that was a fun movie, even though it wasn't particularly good. Uh, I would say... I think I agree with that general sentiment that Spider-Man No Way Home is probably the last major standout movie, but it's a well-made movie, but obviously because they're bringing in other Spider-Men, other villains, it gets maybe a little bit of a pass. I think you forget about certain plot holes and stuff. So I would actually go back a couple months before that, and I would say the last great movie that kind of stood on its own, didn't have to rely on things like that, is still, I know I bring it up a lot, but Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, I think that's just an actual like great movie. Um, that happens to be an MCU movie. So I'd, I'd call that one out. Um, but yeah, you know, I am still excited for phase five. It's hard to get down too much because I'm, my hype is building more and more for Guardians 3. And that's only a few months away. I'm excited to see that close out. I trust James Gunn for the most part. So yeah, even though this one was a pretty big miss for me, I, I'm still looking forward to the future. Um, and I would recommend people watch Shang-Chi. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I'm, I think phase five is just going to have more stakes to it than phase four did. Um, phase four kind of came like a fart in the wind and you just forget about it. Um, I am with you. I, I'm definitely higher on Thor Love and Thunder than the average I think MCU fan is. Um, but I do kind of think the last great like took the world by storm project is still Spider-Man No Way Home. So if we continue on this trajectory, I, I'm worried the MCU is going to start losing interest. And, you know, Marvel has always been one to stick to their plans. But do they have to think about a reboot or something to gain interest if their movies start kind of losing money too? like? Um, you know, we look at DC going through their reboots and obviously they have a whole host of other issues, um, but it, it does kind of seem like the tides are starting to turn a bit and, and it seems like there's kind of more excitement around the future of DC these days than there is Marvel. Yeah, it's been an interesting one. I'm, I'm definitely always less informed than you guys are on this stuff, um, but I, I think I agree with you, Austin. Uh, I think the last good one for me was No Way Home. I think phase four for me so far, I, I guess the shows included, have been more of just like a setup. I guess it feels like nothing's kind of come together yet. So I'm hoping now in phase five that all this stuff kind of starts coming together and we get some payoff to what, you know, has happened in phase four. We got, we get a little tease with Loki and Mobius coming into the end credits in this one. Um, so I'm looking forward to that kind of getting fleshed out. I'm looking forward to the Captain America uh, and, or the Falcon show uh, getting fleshed out too. Uh, and what's going to happen with Wyatt Russell's character and, and how those guys are going to uh, play out with Anthony Mackie and, and uh, Sebastian Stan. Yeah, what about you, Austin? Because like, we all kind of agree this isn't a very good Ant-Man movie, but like Keith got into, what about the future that in general and this movie set up are you looking forward to? I think it's interesting because 
up until phase four, we had so much faith in the people behind the scenes. Like we had the Russo brothers spearheading everything. And if you look at the future, like we touched on in the cast and crew, the writer of this movie is writing the next big Avengers project. So that does make me nervous. I am excited to see where some of our beloved characters end up. Um, as much as I didn't love Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I want to see the future of Wanda and Doctor Strange. I'm really excited to see. I think Loki season two is going to be really important. And I know we said that about season one, but I'm excited to see how that ties into everything. Um, I'm excited to see also kind of our young Avengers come more into the forefront. We've set up a lot of interesting young new talent for the future of the MCU. So that's something I'm looking forward to. I guess where I'm stuck on is it seems like the more recent MCU projects have lost kind of their focus on who the main character of each project should be. Like the Doctor Strange movie was really a Wanda Maximoff movie. And um, this Ant-Man movie was really a Kang movie. So it, it seems like we've kind of lost who the forefront of our movies should be whenever it is like their own standalone project. Um, but in terms of the future, yeah, I'm really just excited to see these young characters kind of come more into the forefront. Yeah, that's a good way to put it with the kind of the character focus being odd from time to time. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about the young cast, too. Uh, I do trust in Catherine Newton's talent. I, I would be excited to see her continue on in a different project. Obviously, you know, the king of it all, like we said, it'll be interesting to see where he shows up next. Is it that next Avengers movie? Do we see him in Loki season two or more before that? I don't know. Is the Conqueror version actually dead or are we going to be introduced to another big bad version of Kang? I'm not 100 percent sure how that's going to work. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I still have hope. And it does, like you said, Austin, phase five seems to have something more important that they're driving to. Like phase four, we never really knew what the big kind of like final thing was. And ultimately it ended up being. Thor, Love and Thunder, and I guess the Guardians holiday specials. Like, and then they just went, okay, that's the end. And now Phase 5 starts like, oh, okay, that's weird. But yeah, I think Phase 5 just has more projects I'm interested in with Keith mentioning the Captain America and Thunderbolts projects on the TV side. Nothing quite has me as hyped as uh, Daredevil Born Again. I just want to see more Daredevil. Um, and then we know we're going to get to some Avengers movies and Kang ties into that. So it sounds like there's more of a plan. I hope so. Um, so yeah, I'm still hopeful for the future. Uh, but this did not give me hope because it is the uh, like start of phase five. So just not a great uh, taste in my mouth for what's supposed to be the beginning of this important thing. I do kind of wish Jonathan Majors had been confirmed for more upcoming MCU projects since he has so many variants of the Kang character. Because um, right now he's really only confirmed for the next two Avengers projects. And I'm sure we'll see him in Loki season two. Um, but I do kind of wish these other variants were popping up more and, and we were going to see more of them. Maybe we will. And we just don't know yet. Um, but I, I kind of wish I knew, like, we're going to be seeing a lot of Kang in Phase 5, because I think with all these variants, you kind of have to do that to make it seem important. Yeah, it's funny. We mentioned Loki Season 2, and I'm very excited for that as well, because I thought Season 1 was overall pretty pretty great. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys agree? I felt like <laughs> the only moment in the movie that I was truly, truly scared of Kang outside of whenever Janet touches his chair is in the post-credit when Tom Hiddleston as Loki is actually, like, looking at him. That was the one time I was like, Oh, there we go. There's someone that's scared that's actually instilling fear in me, the audience member. And I was like, why do we have to wait so long to get to that? Yeah, whenever, because I guess, <laughs> I guess Mobius at this point wouldn't remember Loki or something if they're following like right after Loki season one. So whenever he's like, this is the guy we're supposed to be scared of. And it just cuts to Tom Hiddleston's face and he looks terrified. I was like, oh shit, I'm actually kind of scared now. But it took too long to get to that because I had to sit through two hours and all the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a great scene. And I did like the the mid-credit scene too with all the Kang variants like having oh, a yeah. conference. That was yeah. pretty intriguing, I thought. Yeah, yeah curious that cool. where that's gonna go. Yeah. 
All right. Well, guys, there you go. Before we can close out here, though, we got to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards, the part of our show where we can pick something positive, can be negative, or anything in between. It's just something that we think deserves a specific award. So, Austin and Keith, uh, where are we starting today? Yeah, I'm going to give um, the Waste of Time Award to Peyton Reed himself and this entire movie. <laughs> uh, you know, they keep bringing up how important time is to all these characters, and they were not very respectful of my time uh, with this movie. <laughs> I wasted two hours of my life sitting in theaters for this, and it was only to get to the post credit scene that teased Loki season two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do something different, but Austin's award inspired me to give something. And you might be shocked because it is the same award. It is the biggest waste of time award, except I'm giving it to Evangeline Lilly because that's what she must have felt upon reading the script for the first time. I think she must have looked up and been like, why am I wasting my time? But the, yeah, the difference between Evangeline Lilly as me is she got paid like $12 million and I just had to spend money to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, Evangeline, she'll be Great right. point. She got Great paid point. pretty penny. I'm going to give out the... <laughs> The Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Award, oh. which we I think we we give we gave it to Mark Hamill I think when he drank the the green liquid from the animal, and then I think we also gave it to uh, the guy from uh, Andor when he was drinking the, the blue saw. milk. Yeah, good call. The blue milk. So they had to drink some nasty pink milk in this one. <laughs> so the Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Award I guess goes to uh, Cassie and Scott. Yeah, Cassie just has like fucking pink ooze on her face, and she just keeps going to her dad. Drink the ooze. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, everybody, make sure you drink your uh, green, blue, or now pink milk. It's always important to stay healthy. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for, I think, Cocaine Bear? Uh, could be an interesting one. All I really remember is that we've liked all the trailers. So are you guys excited for that? I'm super excited. I think this is going to be a good time. Um, I love the cast and crew involved in this movie, and I'm excited to just kind of see a movie that is uh, just exists to entertain you. I feel like we haven't gotten one of those in a while, so can't wait to see it. Yeah, same. I'm excited uh, for it as well to see some bear just ravaging through people and high on cocaine. I'm excited to see Ray, Ray Liotta uh, in one of his last performances, maybe his last performance. Um, so excited to see him again. But yeah, looking forward to it. And also last week, um, it was the season of love on this podcast. We put out our third annual rom-com bracket. Um, and we also talked about Peyton Reed once again with his movie Down With Love. Um, so if you want to find out what won our third annual rom-com bracket and got declared the best rom-com movie of all time, be sure to go check that episode out. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp? Quantumania. Will Peyton Reed ever please Matt? Anything <sighs> you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode more than the actual movie. <laughs> that's, that's our only goal. Uh, so yeah, have a great rest of your week. And remember, uh, Scott, did you see my ants? <laughs> Darren? Always look out for the little guy. <laughs> <laughs>